Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. We have a special guest, someone that those of you who've been listening to the Packet Pushers podcast network for a long time would know well, Chris Wall. Chris Wall was my co-host on the Data Knots podcast for, oh, three, four years or so. And uh, he went off to do other things in life, but he's back today as a guest. Chris these days is the senior delivery principal for Slalom, which is a very large uh, consultancy And uh, Chris is in a leadership role there. And in fact, that's what we're going to be spending time talking about with him today, aren't we, Ned? We are. And it's it was a really deep and measured and pensive conversation. Chris took his time to answer our questions and didn't just blurt out the first thing that occurred to him. He he has clearly thought deeply about these topics and he has opinions that might flip some of your ideas on their head. One of those ideas might be that in order to be a leader, you have to be a manager. Yeah, no, we're going to dispel that notion very quickly. You can be a leader no matter what role you play in the organization, no matter how old or young you are, no matter how far along you are in your IT career. There's definitely something of value for you in this conversation. So stay tuned and enjoy as Ned and I chat with Chris Wall. Mr. Wall, my friend, it is excellent to have you back on the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. And uh, we were jumping right into this conversation based on your blog post about uh, leadership. uh, I'm just going to start aiming questions at you that are taken from that blog post and uh, and getting your reactions and pontifications. Starting with this, does being a leader imply that someone is in charge, that they are a people manager of some sort? Man, I, I don't know. I think we need to, I think we need to level set on leadership across the board first. You know, I think we need to anchor in first. Let me talk about why I wrote that post that leadership post. It's because I'm going through those challenges as a leader of people and as a leader of initiatives, right? So this is, this is a current snapshot of kind of my reality and what's going on. And as I experiment with things and try things and learn things, I'm just trying to document them as I go. So I don't want to come at you like, Hey, I'm the wise snail sitting upon the branches of wisdom, (laughs) you know, pontificating and waxing lyrical on all things leadership. It's very much coming from a sense of, I realize that in order to be effective as a leader myself, I need to find ways to motivate and incentivize people to align, form a strategy and execute. And that is super hard. It's something that I'm having to come to grips with across, you know, my professional career and also as a leader of people to your point. Does it need to be a manager or whatnot? Absolutely not. You know, it's really, I look at leadership as kind of like the the Kardashev scale of energy, right? If you've heard of that before, it's a way of measuring kind of at a galactic scale, how advanced a civilization is. And if you can collect like all the sun, if you collect all the sun power from your planet's perspective, you're at level one. You know, we're not even there yet as a civilization. You can capture all of your star's power in totality, like through a Dyson sphere, that's level two. And then if you can do that across multiple solar systems across a galaxy, you're level three. And it's, I think it's the same for leadership, right? It's how are you going to do that first level, which is very personal, you know, lead and develop yourself. And you get to a point where you realize that to get what you want, you have to get to that level two, you know, typically the team. Now I have things that I'm looking to do in my career, my goals, and it requires aligning and motivating the team, whatever that may be, project team, work group team. There's that kind of level two that you're at, that next level is a network that you reach. 
And from there, like there's this giant gap. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the entire organization because now you're looking to do things that change the strategy, which is hard uh, of a company or an initiative. And so that's kind of my basis of it. Like it's really, how do you advance through those things? And leadership is making a conscious choice to say no to certain things and to prioritize what actually needs to get done while remembering that we're all here to grow each other. Okay. You said though, that you don't have to be a leader of people, like a manager in order to be, uh, in order to be a leader, but is it possible to do the things you were just describing? Is it possible to be that sort of a leader if you lack the authority to enact an organizational change? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that is the definition of organizational change is the leadership that is exhibited by the various members of the culture, right? It's change isn't something that is decided at, on a hilltop, right? It's the, the decision to not only develop ourselves, but to actively find ways to develop the people around us, whether or not with their manager really is irrelevant. It could be a peer or a team member, or you're mentoring someone who's new. But choosing to do those two things and having them anchored in that passion to make a difference for someone else and also make sure you're developing yourself along the way is really, I think, the two keys of success for leadership. There's a lead by example uh, element to it, then you're saying? Always, I think. And that comes with a place that allows you to be authentic and vulnerable. So it's tough in some situations, but I think that's what makes it even more valuable. Because if you think about it from the terms of you working with or for someone else, that's the environment you want and you expect is a place where there is an ability to have a conversation and to feel that it's okay to not agree on everything. And until you reach that point, there's no real leadership being shown. I, one of the things that I didn't really realize about the phrase lead by example is it's not a choice. You're not choosing to lead by example by giving a good example. If people see you in any sort of leadership role, whether you intended to or not, they're going to follow your example, whatever that thing is. So rather than it being a thing that I do, I'm leading by example. No, if you're leading at all, people are going to follow your example. I, I mean, maybe. At least then you have an example to point to, right? And that what you're saying matches what you're doing. But I think there's a belief, kind of what you're alluding to, like, hey, if I just pattern it, people will follow the patterns. And no, that's actually not the case, I think, in most scenarios. And that's where I think, especially new leaders who think, hey, if I just do it right, others will see me doing it right, and they will do it right. And they feel frustrated when that doesn't happen. you know. And that's something where I've suffered frustration too. Like I'm already patterning a successful set of patterns or models. Like to me, I would find people that are doing what I'm doing and copy it, right? And, and model after it and, and pull those ideas, but that's not necessarily how people think. And it's not because they're ignorant or don't realize that there's benefit there. It's that commonly they don't understand themselves, which is that first part of leadership, being able to really self-assess and, and decide what your career is gonna look like and decide what your goals are gonna be and make the choice to take accountability for everything that happens in your life. You know, that's a, that's a tough step one. And that leads to step two, which is all the techniques to use what a guy named John Ullman does. Uh, he's a great speaker on executive presence, you know, being able to 
have executive presence and show leadership to others. And that really unlocks a lot of cool stuff in life. There's an active component to it then. Leading by example is, you could, you could say those words, but you're, you're suggesting there's an interactive, there's an active component to it, like mentoring. You mentioned mentoring as a form of leadership. Yeah. There's a nuance there that I think we're not quite uncovering. And it's, you know, like lead by example, I think it's just a horrible turn of phrase. <laughs> you lead by using what you believe in. You know, the, your number, the, the source of your strength should be that passion. Whatever that passion is, you got to find a way to then cause it to, to, to benefit others. You know, it's really, if you start there in, I really want to make a difference. I want to change things for the better. I want to improve those around me. And you align that with what you're passionate about. Then you've got the right seed because when you're emotionally challenged, when you're intellectually challenged, when you're trying to make a decision, you can then go to that and say, based on the choices that I have and the timeline that I'm working in, what best aligns to that, that seed? Or when you're feeling fear or threatened because your amygdala is going, ah, you know, it's, I can't tell a shark from a really badly, you know, written email that's saying that I suck. Like it both causes fear instead of reacting, you're going to have pause, right? Because you realize, and you've sort of categorized, I know myself, I know how I react. I know what's going to be required of me to recenter and focus on that passion. All I'm really trying to do here is make this change and make things better. And I need to figure out a good way to do that. Do you think that self-awareness also indicates a need to make changes about yourself and the way that you function? Or is it more of being aware of who you are and the way you function and then taking steps to embrace those things and be more effective through the ways that you are already? I'd say, Ned, a pet peeve of mine are people that when realized change is necessary, they go, well, I just, you know, I'm not that person. I'm not organized. I'm not disciplined. I'm not whatever it is. Because logically, it makes no sense. No one starts out as a wizard at any of those things. Like it takes practice. Everything takes practice. We all know that at a very fundamental level. But here's my process. Here's what I advise. Here's, some, here's a pattern that works well. Realize that you do have control over how you act and who you are. A great vehicle for that is all the self-assessment tools that exist. Everything from DISC profile to Myers-Briggs to you know, a professional index or personal index, I forget which one it is. There's a dozen of them that you can go through. And if you just kind of take the whole cynical hat off for a moment and realize that a lot of people take these just to celebrate the good bits about them, but there's a whole bunch of stuff about how to work with others, how to grow your career, how to have a relationship with people. These are the things that you're going to struggle with. Here's areas where you can improve. Then you're going in eyes wide open. So I do that quite frequently. In fact, every year I go through all of them again and they change both because I want them to change and I'm actively working my goals to see those changes happen, but also because life just changes you, you know, like you just have to adapt in certain ways that are interesting when you measure them. Hmm. Chris, another thing in your blog post that you mentioned is having a why that informs your leadership. Okay. So does your motivation, your why result in a decision to become a leader? Uh, the, the best way to fulfill these motivations is to become a leader or does an inherent desire for leadership demand a why I, I want to be a leader, but I feel like I should have a good reason. How does that flow? <laughs> 
I, I, I just, my gut reaction is I don't think if your why is I just want to lead, I don't know how successful that will be. I, I think more like a good why should be something that independent of what you do to others is still beneficial to you, right? Because if you're taking on someone else's cause and not getting anything out of it, it's not going to feel aligned to your passion, right? This is not really what you want to be doing. There's a way to have both. And I, I think that's where people stumble. They're always trying to, I will take the sacrifice and I will just not do the things that I want and give other people what they want. And that, and look at that the other way around, like, oh, I'm just going to take from you and not give back. Like, that's a weird relationship. That's a weird expectation to ex to set and expect to get fulfillment out of that, right? So I think you have to start with a good why that resonates with your passion. Like, what am I trying to do here? For me, like, example, I'm very passionate about knowledge management and documentation and making sure that what my team and my 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 company learns, we don't lose it. That we, mm -hmm. that we use it to kind of make this malleable form of opinions and perspectives and kind of how we operate consistently. And that's what drives me. Like that's where I'm volunteering. Those are the initiatives I'm taking. It guides my goals. It guides my strategy. And there's times where like people just don't get it and it sucks. And I feel frustrated or stupid or, you know, that I'm struggling. And where I go back to is, you know what? It's still perfectly fine to want to chase after these sorts of things to pull people together and build a community and build a network. And sometimes you're just going to, it's not going to work and you got to try something else. You know, it kind of rebalances you. Then I kind of look back and I imagine seeing, you know, 40 years of my life, like all these little milestones of like where I screwed up and there's so many thousands of them that I'm like, Oh, there's one more, <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> Well, so that question for me came rooted in remembering the version of me that was 22 years old and being you know, kind of a, a bright young worker in the tech space and going, I have the answers. I should be in charge because I know how all this stuff works. I know where all the little screens are and the boxes to check to make the thing do the thing. And it, you know, there's a, there's an ego thing there and there's, you know, a desire to prove oneself when you're young and you're surrounded by people that are more experienced and so on. And you just think the answer to that is, is leadership. If they just put me in charge, I'll, I'll show them all how awesome I am. But in fact, that's perhaps the worst time to be, well, I mean, our, our definition of it's the worst time to be a manager, perhaps um, a leader. You can lead in a different way from that point, I suppose, Chris. Mm. Well, I tell you, man, I actually, I, I do work a lot with uh, younger folks just because I am a bit older, but also because uh, I like focusing my energy on sort of, this is my first job. This is my second job, something like that. I, I like to get in early and uh, to, to build new leaders. Like that's part of my passion. I like building new leaders and, and I like getting getting my hands on young talent and saying like, Hey, let's really focus on your career and everything that I would have loved to have known when I was 25, I'm going to tell you all of it. And a lot of it, you're going to say, eh, the old guy's crazy, but maybe a little bit of it, of it, you'll, you'll, you'll use it and you'll agree. And that's all I want, you know, just that little bit. Cause uh, you know, I really wish I had had that, but I at least want to give people the opportunity to say, you know, no. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you know, I, most of them go through some similarities, what you talk about, Ethan, like definitely I just got hired for this job. I need to be, I need to know the things I need to be the knower of the things I measure success, you know, in their mind 
based on sort of how many people come ask me questions. How, how like knowledgeable am I on all this tech stuff? And for me, I'm like, that's hilarious because it doesn't really matter. It's all like a Google search, but you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it, it's like so correct for where they're at because they're at the, the, the first level. I need to like capture all the things so that I am self-sufficient as a, as a planet or as a person. So it makes total sense in that perspective, you know, and getting people to realize like, actually, you want to really show that you know what you're doing, start asking questions, start writing down the crazy stuff that you're doing, start telling people about it and teaching people about it and being like really visible with what you do, because it's totally counterintuitive to them, you know, and it's something that takes a lot of kind of experimentation uh, and trust building to get to a point where that, that community kind of clicks and people are able to talk to one another. And that takes a heck of a lot of leadership from all levels. Everybody has to be invested to develop themselves and others to get to that point. But you were just talking about people who are just starting out their career. Maybe this is their first or second job in tech. And you're functioning as a leader to them. But you also said that you want to grow them as leaders. At what point does that transition? Do you think that transition should happen? Should they have a certain amount of experience before they're even prepared to make that step into leader? Because I think if I, if I think back to the early days of my career, I didn't know enough about people or even just the way offices work and teams work to even think about trying to lead those people in, in a realistic way. I could do it badly, but not, not realistically. Well, I would say, here's my approach. Here's, here's how I'm doing it and what I think aligns to the way that I like to do things. I don't know. I'm, I'm, my vibe is this. When I first bring on somebody, the conversation is, hey, I don't do leader follower. I am a leader, leader kind of person. Hmm. So things like you're one-on-one, -on -one, you're going to set that up with me and you're going to drive the agenda. Your career planning, you know, like you're going to tell me what you want. We're going to work on it together. I'm going to hold you accountable but it's your, it's your career, it's your life. You're going to drive it. You know, I'm just going to be kind of nagging you here and there to like, remember what's priority and setting you up for the right opportunities to, to, to grow, you know, and be your support structure. Um, because I want them to, you know, for that first level, right. I want them to master career development, understanding how to set goals, understanding how to combine goals into a strategy, how to communicate that, how to excel in their performance reports. Like, how to do all the things and be a leader to themselves. And those patterns translate pretty darn well when you expand it beyond the self. Those same patterns like, hey, we now need to all set goals and all of us form strategy and all of us make it work visible. It's like, hey, guess what? You already know this stuff. It's just now bigger than you, mm. right? So it's way less of this preparing for leadership. Like it's some sort of launch, you know, <laughs> like that's a day one, like that's the culture should be let's set each up to be leaders of ourselves. I am the CEO of me and I need to work with other people. Interesting take on it. You're you're not preparing them to just be a leader of others. They first have to be a leader of themselves. I like that. It's an like an inverted way of thinking about it. What do you do about someone who is not interested in taking on a leadership role? They've joined your team and they just like, hey, this is my job. It's my nine to five. I want to clock in, clock out, and go do you know the other thing that I'm at, that I am passionate about, which is not working in tech. That's just how I pay the bills, so I can go mountain biking or you know feed into my my poker habit or something like that. 
I respect that work-life balance. I don't think that conflicts with being a leader. I think you can still be heads down, work your nine to five, and also align to incentives around bringing back solutions that you find from clients and writing that down somewhere or linking it somewhere or you know, peer, peer programming with someone just so that what you learn doesn't get lost. Like there's a flavor for everybody. The expectation has to be not that, not quantified as for this many pages, this many posts, this much, you know, this quantifiable amount of collaboration or visibility. It should be, what is your flavor of visibility? How do you want to do that? You turn that around. What is, what is your style? How do we put that into your flow? And then how do we make that just part of your job so that it's not extra? Interesting. Yeah. So just like you said, you have to identify your own passion, your why. It sounds like as a good leader and a mentor, you're also identifying the why or helping the people that you're trying to turn into leaders find their why as well. Yeah. And I think honestly, like if someone, if you're doing things right, people should at least be motivated to participate. You know, like, I don't think the expectation should ever be extra, extra hours, late tights. Like that's crap. It should be how, how, how plugged in does this person feel? Mm. How much do they feel like we care about their success? What are they trying to do? How do we get their desires and then align to them? And that's Mm. standard leadership, right? That's something a peer could do on a team. It's something you could do cross-functionally for someone completely outside of your wheelhouse. I have people that I just randomly kind of pick people and talk with them and try to make sure that I have friends all across the organization because I, I, want, I mean, selfishly, I want to know what's going on. As a leader, I need to find opportunities for my people. So I need to be networking and kind of scanning the, the ecosystem, but also I'm interested in what other people are doing. Maybe they're doing something that aligns to what I'm doing and I can pull them in to my stuff. Um, so like leadership comes in all sorts of different flavors. You advocate the idea of devopsing your ideas with others. That was a, you, you spent quite a bit of time on the blog post on that. Would you describe that in a, in detail? Because it sounds like a lot more than just you know, gathering feedback. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll point out a pet peeve there too. I guess this is my second one for the show, but feedback is not recognition people way too often. Do I see like, you did a great job. That's recognition. And you should recognize people for doing a great job. Feedback is specifically what, what was good, what was valuable, what didn't go so good. And in fact, I don't even really like feedback in a lot of cases. I think we all need to figure out how we're trying to grow and then support it. Sounds way better and way more aligned than feedback. Okay. I'll get off my soapbox. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> so the question was the whole, uh, expand oh, the DevOps on thing. DevOpsing your yes. ideas with others. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No. So, um, it's again, a challenge I have to try to motivate people from all ages to try things, to experiment. Um, because what, you, what, what I end up seeing a lot is kind of this mindset of like, all right, I'm, at, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on the thing. I'm trying to do whatever the thing is. I don't know how to do the thing. I'm going to search around for a little bit. I'm going to Google them and figure it out. Oh, still not finding what the thing is. Should I ask somebody? No. No, I don't know. Everyone's busy. They won't understand what I'm talking about. They won't have the context. Like there's such a mental barrier to try expanding beyond like this, this small part of the self. And so the DevOps thing was really more around, hey, here's a framework that we all know and agree with because I'm on a DevOps team, right? Uh, and I think 
more holistically, people tend to know in the tech industry what DevOps means. You know, you're, you're trying things very quickly and iterating through them and automating that process. So I said, why don't we try DevOpsing ideation and let's call it experimentation, not failing. We're experimenting. Failure is when we try something and we don't capture what we learned. Experimenting is when we do the opposite, right? So let's try something. Let's time box it into two weeks. Try something. Everyone try something different. And then let's meet in retro and talk about like what worked, what do we like, what don't we like, you know, pretty simple stuff and do that to the point where it becomes normal. Like, oh, we're going to run an experiment. We try something. This is cool. It's safe. Failure doesn't have a life here. There's no such thing. It's just like, what did you find? What was your results? You know, kind of takes you back to middle school science and chemistry and like, Today, we're going to, you know, blow up a beaker. You're like, oh, cool. <laughs> it's not like, oh, it's a failure if it explodes. That's the exciting part. It exploded. Crap, we did something interesting, you know? It wasn't Edison who was quoted as saying something along the lines of, you know, I didn't fail 99 times to make a light bulb. I successfully found 99 ways to not make a light bulb. Yeah, exactly. You know, and as long as you're like, you got to document that, put it somewhere you know, what you don't want to do along with what you do or what you didn't work. And I find that that's a, that's a cool dynamic to have um, within people that report to you within teams that you work on, like just pick people and kind of put that sort of stuff together. I found that um, one thing that sort of freed my mind was when I realized I, I could just set up groups of any size, really whenever I wanted, just by having a good idea and then sending an invite. Um, and so I just started doing that a lot. And when I would, I'm like, oh, you know what? These are six interesting people. I think we all have something in common. Let's go talk about something. And 30 minutes later, I'm like, man, I learned 50 new things I didn't know. And actually we have all these alignments that we could have been aligning on, you know, it's kind of like gold panning in the, you know, California gold rush days. And you're like, man, there's so many you know nuggets of gold in these Hills. You know, it's interesting. So going back to distinguishing between gathering feedback and what you're describing here, if you would set up a meeting with a bunch of people to kick around an idea, you what's what's different there from gathering feedback? You're having a dialogue. You're what are you what are you doing in that conversation? Uh, yeah, because I don't really care about the feedback at that point. You know, a lot mm. of times, my hook is like, "Hey, um, we're all kind of doing something in some something similar. Like maybe we're all kind of aligned on our title. You know, we're all supposed to be doing something, but." We don't actually talk ever. Don't you think that's weird? Maybe we should. And people go, huh? Oh, yeah, um, maybe. And you join, it's like, what are you all working on? Mm. What, what is frustrating you right now? Like, what's going on? Give me the 411 and then let's do something about that. Let's prioritize, like, where's the pain? Who should be in this meal? Like, you can just form sort of groups around this stuff, even though, you know, again, I'm trying to tie back to like DevOps and leadership, right? I'm not, I don't own any of these people's time. They don't report to me. I'm just pointing out, hey, I'm trying to build a pipeline to solve problems. I think I see a bunch of problems here. I don't know if I'm correct or not. Let's share information, you know, like let's throw some code into Git and like let's start testing and seeing our, you know, what what happens in the release of these different ideas. Like, oh crap, this one's pretty good. Let's pull this out. It becomes its own project. Now we start iterating on that. And you just get to a point where things are better and then you move on, you find something else. Almost sounds like a hackathon. Right. You get a whole <laughs> together and you're just like, let's hack on a thing and see what happens. I think there's that's really awesome that the the organization you're working for and the sort of culture around it 
enables and allows that sort of thing. I can think of some organizations I've worked for in the past where if I tried to reach out to these people in these disparate groups and pluck them in for something, their managers would have a tizzy fit. Like, mm -hmm. because this is, no, these are my people. How dare you take some portion of their time to have this conversation? Uh, and, you know, there would be pushback from their manager to my manager about how awful it is that I am like taking up their people's time with this ridiculousness. Have you encountered any of that or what do you? Of course, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you overcome that <laughs> objection? I like, I didn't mean to make it sound like I live in, you know, a fantasy world where everything's amazing. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, let me don't, I won't downplay. That's not a huge, that's not a huge problem where I'm at. But I think there's two sides to that, that conversation. One is it never hurts to give a professional heads up. I certainly, especially if I'm talking to a more junior member where I know, hey, I'm this big senior title, no matter what I say or how I couch it, if you're new, you might be like, oh my God, this guy's telling me what to do and I need to go do it because he's a super important. Like, so I'm very much cognizant of perception. Mm -hmm. And I think if that's ever a concern, definitely talk to somebody's people leader or manager. Like, I think that's heads up. Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I'd love to talk to your person. I'd love your guidance on that. What do you think? And if they shut you down, like whatever, then it's just an idea you had. Like, don't take it personally. Someone else may help you out with that. So you're not gonna have hundred percent success. But on the other side, for most people, I think the way that you squash these like crappy managers who try to, you know, choke, you know, Vader chokehold their people <laughs> is just show a crap ton of value. You know, like uh, my MO is I just build and do things that end up resulting in a crap ton of value. I make sure that it's super visible and I get support of the people that understand that these sorts of decisions and this sort of value affect the bottom line. You went over my helmet. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because like visibility is never about decision making, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to make a decision for my manager or for, you know, a senior leader. I'm just saying I'm working on this. This is an experiment I'm running. Here's the results of it. Here's the improvement that I'm showing. I have data support, like what's going on. It's way less hand wavy than like this tornado that tears through just like causing ruckus. You're showing that you have a plan. You articulate your plan. You pull people in cross-functionally. I mean, you're basically dipping yourself in sugar and saying, here I am, promote me. I'm obviously showing that I know what I'm doing because you're just doing the things that you see need to be done without being told. And there's a ton of value in just being able to do that and having the confidence to do it. And I think kind of to your point, instilling that competence and that thought process in others elevates them to be leaders in their own right. Yeah. Cause think like at the top, no one tells you what to do. You have to come up with that. You have to figure that out and build the structure. So the best way to show that you're wanting to do that is to just do it within the confines of the role and with your, within the ability that you have and make it really visible. And that is like the best way to show leadership at all three of those levels that I talked about. Yeah. As someone who works for themselves now, uh, the greatest thing was I can do whatever I want. No one can tell me what to do. And the worst thing was I can do whatever I want. No one tells me what to do. And like that, that can be terrifying if you're not prepared for it. Yeah. So practice when it doesn't count so much practice when it's easier and you have a parachute or a trampoline or whatever you want to call it. Right. And that's right. what I tell my people too. like practice now where the, the repercussions are so laughable. Like, Oh no the thing blew up. Like 
things blow up sometimes. That happens. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, 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 as an anecdote, I do distinctly remember a time when I was sort of a uh, desktop support technician, but I'd been starting to do server level stuff and a uh, file server broke. It was a server 2000 to 2003 upgrade, which is a terrible idea. Don't do a direct upgrade, but or an in-place <laughs> upgrade. But uh, we did it and things broke. And I always had this idea in my head that the other people I was working with above me knew how everything worked and they had all the answers. And when it broke and they had no idea how to fix it, that that illusion shattered for me. And I realized, well, if anybody's going to fix it, it's going to be me. So I might I, I need to know how to do the thing. Yeah. And I think that was for me, that was very transformative in how I approached technical and personal problems you know, going forward. No, um, I think you highlight something important there, man, is that visibility works both ways. Right. If you are not making what leadership looks like visible to those that aspire to join you in leadership, you're going to have a rough time when it comes to growing and scaling your organization. Because like, where are those leaders going to come from? If you hire them, bring them in from the outside, that's a year before they're fully ramped and like really effective. If you build them and promote them, I think it scales way better. I think it keeps that culture intact too. I think you can have both, but I think you need to plan to build them. Chris, you argue that a leader, to be an effective communicator, uh, they have to listen really, really well. That That's a key part of their communication skills. Dive into that for us. It's something I've only kind of learned recently, to be honest with you. I think I'm very literal when I listen, or like was very little when I listened. You would tell me there was a problem and I would just accept that there was a problem. And the problem was what you described. And there's so much kind of that I had not really been thinking about behind the words. Like, where is this coming from? What's going on? Like, how are they feeling? Are they feeling threatened? Are they under attack? You know, what does this really mean to their strategy? And a lot of that came from, again, like John Ullman with his executive presence course on LinkedIn Learning, can't recommend it enough. Actually, LinkedIn Learning is awesome. I am very surprised how good the content is over there. And I have a free subscription from work. So I drink the Kool-Aid quite a bit. But he's got this whole course on executive presence. And it's really about kind of, kind of that, right? Like, how do you handle things when they get emotional, mm. when they get when they kind of control you, when things sort of leave your control and you lose that, that mental ability to kind of hold on to things. Um, so so as, just, as engineers, Chris, we're really yeah. good at focusing on details and be, we're quite literal very often, but you're talking about reading between the lines, the, the human element, emotional intelligence, that kind of thing. But like a little more than that, a little more than not just like, Hey, you had a bad day. So you're pissed. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what's, what's happening to you? as a person, but also to like your vision, what you're trying to build, mm. right? And if I understand that, if I kind of know like what is the emotional state and what is the intelligence state, then I already can see how you're acting and I can put those three pieces together and I kind of get an idea like what's actually going on. And I didn't, I don't think it was until I started operating that way myself and being able to assess like, okay, what emotion is happening right now? Like, why am I reacting this way? Oh, I'm feeling lots of fear and my heart rate is, is but like, this is just flight or flight response. I'm not actually afraid or nervous right now. It's just my body's doing that to me. And I know what to do now. I know I need to step away. I need to calm down. I need to come back, you know, and it just, it just helps with that. 
But to your point around, like, how do you read through that? I think it just allows me to ignore the attack that may be coming because somebody's having a bad day or I'm, I'm the cause of some pain and I didn't know it and get to like, how do we then solution? And a lot of times I think what happens is, especially as technical people, we go into defensive mode, armor up, shields up, we're under attack. This <laughs> is meant to destroy or diminish me. And it's being able to say like, I'm going to put that aside. I'm just going to pin that aside for a moment. And I'm going to think what's really going on here. Is it me? Pro probably isn't. And how do I U-turn this to a positive direction? How do I like rechannel this mm -hmm. so that it goes in the direction that I want it to go? Right. And, and shields up defensive thing. Like that won't get me what I want. Just won't work. So this is a kind of unrelated to technology. Uh, I worked retail for many years and you would have customers come in and they were ready for a fight. They wanted to return a shirt and they had a whole story. They just wanted to tear you down. But, and the thing that I had to instill on all the associates that I had working for me was it's never about you. And it's probably not even about the shirt. <laughs> it's about something bigger that's going on in their life. And so you have to let that initial attack wash over you, help them with the thing they actually need. And if you're showing some level of empathy and understanding, you know, half the time they ended up buying a bunch of stuff while they were there because they felt heard for the first time in a while. And, yeah. and it was such a weird like realization. And I didn't come up with any of that. That was taught to me by my district manager, who is awesome and is very much in the line of the, the leader that you're describing. That sort of uh, a person who, who taught me some of the skills I needed to be effective at my job. But yeah, like it's not about you and you kind of have to let the attack roll over you and uh, wash over you and then drill down into what they actually need and the larger context of what's happening. Yeah. I mean, that's, Eventually, someone's going to have to do that, whether it escalates to that person or that person's you. So might as well be an active participant in the process, right? Make that easier when, when maybe someone else with more wisdom has to step in. Don't make it harder for them and, and you know, go down that rabbit hole, right? Set yourself up for success and set up those that you need support from to have success. Chris, kind of a good way to wrap up this conversation maybe is, uh, is, is this question. Uh, why do you advocate making followers into leaders? Does it make sense for everyone to be a leader? And where I'm going with this, I mean, if everybody's a leader, who's left to do the following? I think you can have a, a totally leader-leader type organization because leadership doesn't mean manager or boss. It means that we're all realizing that we need to develop ourselves and develop others at all levels. Right. And that's really all that's saying. And how the heck are you ever going to scale or grow if you're depending, if you're making yourself dependent on another person for that success? You know, that's what following means is that I'm going to place my success in your hands and I'm going to let you make the choices. And I don't think anyone really wants to give away their success to someone else's prerogative. Right. A leader leader organization is really just making that okay, making it okay to make the choices around your career and your goals and what you want to do and respecting you as a peer where I have a different job than you do, but it doesn't make me more or less than you. We're just working together to achieve the same kind of goals. I just need to know what they are, right? 
Yeah, and I purposely set up a false dichotomy in that question anyway. It's not like, you know, if you're a, a leader in what you're describing, your career and the area of your own life and, you know, your destiny, if you will, and how you want to move forward, it doesn't mean you aren't following in other areas. It's not like it's, you know, all I lead in everything and everyone <laughs> follows me for all the things. No, you can lead in certain things and uh, and follow in others and other people can too. And then I think you end up with that leader, leader organization. Another point here that, I, that you've brought out several times that I think is really important, Chris, everyone has something to offer someone else. There is 100%. something you can share with somebody that they didn't know, they hadn't thought about it that way and that they can glean value from. And so there's right there, some information you have, you can share that you can lead others with. And again, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing thing. You can be a, a leader on a, a small scale or in a specific, you know, narrowly defined way and still provide an enormous amount of value to the people that are around you. In fact, I would say start small. Hmm. Try the small stuff, experiment when it's just small. Mm -hmm. And then those same things will apply as it gets bigger. Well, Chris Wallace has been an enjoyable conversation, man. It always is when we can get you on the mic. And uh, I, I know you're not socially active like you once were, but if there are <laughs> ways that people can follow you these days, what would those be? Yeah, it's pretty much just uh, the blog, wallnetwork.com. And you can subscribe now and it'll email you if I rave and rant. So there you go. Woo. Okay, wallnetwork.com. <laughs> Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. And uh, and high fives to you for listening, you awesome person. If you have suggestions for future shows, Ned and I, we want to know all about that. So tweet at Day2CloudShow or fill out the form on Ned's fancy website, nedinthecloud.com, and let us know whatever it is you'd like us to cover on a future episode of Day2Cloud. Now, did you know that you do not have to scream into the technology void alone? The Packet Pushers Podcast Network has a free Slack group open to everyone. That and that that literally is everybody, whether you're you're an instructor or you're a consultant or you're working in industry or you're a Silicon Valley employee. Come on in. Visit packetpushers.net slash slack and and join up. Now it is a marketing-free zone for engineers to chat, compare notes, tell war stories, solve problems together, et cetera. So don't don't rock up in there as the CMO and start blasting content about your product. That would not be cool. But just come hang with fellow engineers and nerd out and share your problems and uh, commiserate and and that'd be great stuff. Again, packetpushers.net slash slack. And until then, just remember cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. 